We're going to look in Acts chapter 5. Just a couple verses, verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And it says, uh, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, I used to look at this passage, a couple verses, and and I used to, the one thing that stuck out to me, probably sticks out to you, is that whole Peter thing. They're bringing people and laying them in the streets so that Peter's, shadow would pass over them hoping that if his shadow would pass over them that they might be healed i was blown away by that and i just thought man when i get to that passage is that really what we're going to focus on is that what we're going to talk about can you imagine what it would have been like to live in the time of the apostles god's doing so many things through these apostles that the people the unbelievers are even bringing their sick and just lining the streets so that maybe peter's shadow would pass over them. that is unique Okay, that is a unique time. That is a unique circumstance. That's a unique situation. And it's amazing. It's amazing the things that God is doing through the apostles, these these men that he's using in a significant way to launch and start the beginning of his church. It's incredible. And that's what it says right at the beginning. There are now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. It wasn't an uncommon thing god was using the apostles to glorify himself by you doing signs wonders miracles amazing things to bring attention to him so that people would submit to him so that people would glorify him so that people would follow him so that people would believe in him it's amazing and and that just whole phrase is he does the signs and wonders regularly are being done by the hands of the apostles this is god doing it He's using the hands of the apostles to do these things. And it's just like, man, do we read that and just think, uh, I don't know. Were people really being healed? Were people, does that really happen? Gosh, that's a hard thing to believe. That's a hard thing to believe. His shadow? I mean, that sounds like a fairy tale or something. Is that true? Is that for real? I mean, what it says is, man, God was doing things like crazy through these apostles. And just showing how powerful, how amazing, how wonderful, how good, how glorious he is. And all for his glory. All of it. None of it to bring attention. None of it to bring honor. None of it to bring glory to the apostles. It wasn't about Peter. And and as we're going to find in this passage, it wasn't about Peter. And I don't think the people thought it was about Peter. I don't think the people thought that Peter was this God or anything like that. I think they recognized and knew there's something different about these people because of how they're living, because of who they serve. And man, we've got to, we got to, we trust these people. And so we're going to bring our sick to these people so that they'll be healed. So a couple of things I want to talk about from this passage and actually four things I want to talk about. Um, and number one is this whole passage uh, is this, it's an answer to a prayer that we already talked about. Do you recognize that? In chapter 4, we talked about this prayer that the church came together. Remember, um, Peter and John were arrested, and they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin said, here's the thing, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. 
And they go back to the church. And, and remember that, remember we talked about what would that be like? Because the same people that killed Jesus and had the authority to do that told Peter and John, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And so Peter and John go back and tell the church, they said, we can't talk about Jesus anymore. And how would we respond and how did they respond? And remember their prayer in response. Those first two words of the prayer of the, of the church as they respond to God were sovereign Lord. Which we talked about that. I don't want to go a long time into detail again. But what they're saying is, God, we acknowledge and believe that you reign over this circumstance. And you even brought about this circumstance. You're in control of this circumstance. Which is really them saying, you put us in a place of persecution. You put us in a place of difficulty. You put us in a place that's hard. Now, how are they going to respond to that? How are they going to respond to that difficulty? Is it going to be, Lord, why did you do that? This isn't fair. We don't want it to be this way. Jesus isn't worth this much. This is hard. This is tough. We don't want this. Remember the end of that prayer? Sovereign Lord. And you go through and acknowledge all that God is and all that he said he was going to do. And then in verse 29 and 30, it says, And now, Lord, look, this is chapter 4, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they prayed for. Everything that we see in these verses today, verses 12 through 16 of chapter 5, is exactly what they pray for. God, we don't want, we're not going to stop talking about you. We're not going to stop mentioning Jesus. We're not going to stop telling people that you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life, you're the most amazing thing in the world. And if, and if people get you, they'll treasure you more than anything if they really know who you are. We're not going to stop. We're not willing to stop saying that. What we're asking you is please give us boldness. Please give us, continue to give us boldness so that we can, in the midst of this persecution, no matter what they do to our bodies, no matter what they do to us, that we would keep telling people that you are worth it, that you're worth whatever they do to us, that you're to be treasured, that you're to be valued, that you are God and that you gave Jesus as the only way to get to heaven. Help us, give us boldness so that we keep talking like that. And secondly, God, you do what only you can do. You do miracles. You perform signs. You perform wonders. You do the things that are going to bring attention and glory to you and not to us. You do those things. And God answers. He's doing it. He's doing the signs. He's doing the wonders. He's doing those things. And, the, and he's answering the prayer to give them boldness in the midst of persecution. And I just think through that. I wonder, do we believe in prayer that much? Uh, they obviously did. I mean, here they are in a difficult, difficult circumstance and they had one place to turn to, God. I mean, this is the only place we can go. God, we've got you. And so we are going to pray because we know you're powerful. We know you're awesome. And we're just going to ask you, God, please, please do what only you can do. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to keep talking about you. Give us boldness to tell people about you. But please do what only you can do and perform signs and wonders. And he answers you know, I'm blown away. I'm blown away with things that Jesus says. Um, I'm actually going through in, in my quiet time right now. I'm, I'm trying to take my time and go through the Gospels and just learn from Jesus and just see how did he live? What did he say? What am I supposed to do because of that? How does he want me to live? How does he want me to respond? How did Jesus live and what did he do in, in, in circumstances that he was in? And, 
And I'm just blown away with some of the things he says. And, and things like um, in, in uh, Matthew 21, where he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. I ask a lot of things. <laughs> what does that mean, Lord? And, and, it, and it's not this. It's not the name it, claim it gospel. It's not anything that you've seen where it says, man, if you believe and you just say, I want a car, God will give you a car. And if you say you want this, it's not that. I've asked for stuff. And I didn't get it. And so it's not that. or, And it all has to come down to what does he end that with? Faith. Where's my faith? Is it in the things? Is it in what I'm satisfied with here? Is it... Is Christ what I'm satisfied here? And if I'm satisfied with Christ, then what am I going to ask for? And what did they ask for? And what did the early church ask for? Did they ask God, man, we are being persecuted right now. Would you please give us a house? Would you build us bigger houses? Would you build us? Would you give us a means of transportation? They didn't have cars back then, but something, Lord, lots of horses and a, a big old chariot that like, just glides when you ride in it and it'd be so nice to have that did they pray for that no no they said lord give us boldness and do things that draw attention to yourself and i think that's what it comes down to is do i really believe in prayer and in my praying am i asking for the things that god is asking for in my life am i asking for the things that god wants in my life And do I really, really, really believe that God is listening and wants to answer my prayer? I mean, God is so good that in my life, there's times where he's given me the things like he's given me stuff. But is my motivation the God, I want this, 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 this and this or God, I want you and I want you more than anything. And so I want what you want for my life. And Lord. Please, God, help me to be what you've called me to be. And in the midst of that, you do the signs and wonders. That's another thing I've been thinking through is, do we ask for that stuff? I mean, the apostles are gone, okay? If you notice that, there's no like Solomon's portico anymore where they're meeting together and and things like that. And and so there's no um, people uh, that are just going around and and healing people and and doing that stuff. I, I, I just don't think that's the way the Lord works since the apostles are gone now. But, and it's specifically that that's what God's doing through the apostles. But God still works. And God still does things that we can't do. God still changes hearts. God still, I mean, it, it, it blows my mind that, that I think we forget that God is in control of the miracles and the powers and, and those things that we can't handle. And, and, and so when we do get the boldness to go talk to people, We want to convince them and we want to persuade them and we want to do the things that we can't do. God's the one that does the miracles. God's the one that changes the heart. God's the one that heals the sick. God's the one that does the things that we can't do. But are we praying for those things? Like the the early church, are we really praying, God, give me boldness to be what you've called me to be. And in the midst of my boldness and in the midst of my faith that's just centered on you and you alone... God, do things that I can't do. Do amazing things. Do miracles that draw attention to yourself. Do change hearts. God, open hearts. I can only talk to people. I I can only preach to you. I can only say things to you. I can't change your heart. And so I just beg God week after week after week, God, please. All I can do is tell them what you've told me. 
And so, God, I'm going to tell them, and God, what I'm asking you to do is you do the signs, you do the wonders, you do the miracles, and change their heart. You convince them. You shine light into their hearts so that they, they see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because when they do that, then they're going to treasure you. Are we praying that way? Are we believing that way, that God is still doing amazing, great things? And so we're praying, God, use me. Let me do what you've called me to do. Help me to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And then you, God, please, you do signs and wonders and powerful things. That's what they prayed for, and that's what God did. And it's amazing. It goes on in the passage, and, and uh, really the second thing I want to I um, talk about is, is in verse 13. It says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. From verse 12, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portrait. That's all the church in this place uh, on the side of the temple that is uh, called Solomon's portico. It's where the church probably regularly met together daily, and uh, it's where Peter gave his sermon from chapter 3, or... uh, Chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3, um, where Peter gave his sermon in chapter 3. And, and, and so probably where they regularly would meet and attend together. And so um, here they are and, and, and they're all together. And it says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And so I'm thinking through, why did the believers not join in with the church? Why did the believers not participate in with the church why did the or the unbelievers why did the unbelievers not come and join in with the church with the believers with the apostles with these people i mean they're doing incredible things right i mean it's it's amazing the things that are happening through the apostles i mean if if people are lining the streets just hoping that that peter's shadow will fall on them there's some seriously amazing things that are happening through the apostles in the life of the church and so why like What's the reason then that the unchurched didn't mix in or didn't join with the believers? This is incredibly significant as I've prayed through this and looked through this because, I mean, it's the case today, right? I mean, unbelievers don't join in with the church. But we have to decide what's the reason for that. Like, is the reason for the unbelievers not joining into the church today the same as the reason the unbelievers didn't join into the church then? And, And I don't think it is. I don't think it's the same reason because... The unbelievers didn't not, didn't, okay, how do you say that? It's a double negative. It's not that the unbelievers aren't joining in because they think that the believers are a bunch of weirdos. And it's not that they're looking at the church and say, there's just a bunch of weirdos, there's just a bunch of crazy people, they're just a bunch of freaks, they're just a bunch of fanatics. That's not the case, right? Because what's the end of that verse say? They held them in high esteem. The unbelievers are looking at the people in the church and holding them in high esteem. So it's not that the unbelievers are looking at the church and saying, those are just a bunch of crazy people. Those are just a bunch of wackos. They're just, they're just following some religion. It's not even true, whatever. That's not the case. They're holding them in high esteem. And not just that, they think they're so authentic that they're carrying sick people to wherever these people are at because they know that if they do, their sick people will get well. That's a belief that these people are authentic. That's not a belief that these people are crazy. 
That's not a belief that these people are weird. That's not a belief that these people are just wacko. And so we know from the passage that the unbelievers are saying, these people are authentic. These people are different. There's something going on in these people that is amazing. So much so that they are willing to bring the sick and lay them at the feet. And so much so it says that they held them in high esteem. Have you ever been held in high esteem before? Have you ever held someone else in high esteem? I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. It's not just like a buddy thing. I mean, that's looking at someone and saying, man, I, I really respect that person. I really think there's something different about that person. There's really something about that person. Sometimes we hold people in high esteem. And we say, man, there's something about that person I want to be like. There's something about that person that I want to take part in or follow or whatever. And that's what it says that the unbelievers are looking at the church and saying that they held them in high esteem. So we can't just say that unbelievers didn't join into the church because they thought the church was just a bunch of crazies, right? And so why aren't they joining in with the church? You remember what we talked about last week? Some of you weren't here, but we talked about this, this, this passage about Ananias and Sapphira, right? Remember, Ananias and Sapphira are two people. There's some stuff going on in the church where people are selling possessions and, and taking the proceeds and bringing it to the apostles' feet and just saying, whatever is needed in the church, use this to meet the needs. And this guy named Barnabas, he sells his property. He brings all of the proceeds, every bit of it, to the apostles' feet. says, here, take it. I don't need it. You take it. Well, Ananias and Sapphira see that and they're like, man, I want people to think of me that way. I want people to look at me and think that I'm some great follower of God. And so they sell their property and they hold back money and bring the rest of the money, however much it was, 80% or 60% or 30% of what they sold it for, whatever it was, they brought it and said, this is what we sold our property for. It's all of it. We're giving everything. We're giving all that we got from it here, take it and use it. Aren't we great, great people? And God said, no, you're not great people. You're lying to God. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And you're making yourself out to be this great follower. And so God immediately judges the hypocrisy, the fake Christianity in Ananias and Sapphira. And he kills them on the spot. It's a very, very exciting passage. I mean, it's very encouraging. And it's one of those passages you just want to read over and over and over again and just... It's one of those passages. And it's amazing because it really showed us, as we talked last week, it showed us how serious God takes hypocrisy and how serious he takes the church and how he has called his church to be followers of him and not fake Christians. And how often we just feel comfortable about coming into the church and just pretending like we're Christians and pretending like we have it all together and, and pretending like we're doing the right thing and we'll sing louder or we'll clap louder or we'll raise our hands higher or we'll, whatever it is. We'll do what we're doing so that people will look at us and say, man, that guy really loves God. And inside, we just want that person to say, man, that guy really loves God. And we don't really care about god we're not following god and just like ananias we just want the name we just want to look good we just want the praise we just want the adoration and so god judges the sin and the um, hypocrisy in ananias and sapphira now remember what it said at the end of that that the the word of that spread and there was great fear and awe among the people and i think that is what the people are seeing in the church because what do they have in the church now? Purity. <laughs> what do they have in the church now? Sincerity. What do they have in the church now? Integrity. 
What do they have in the church now? Devotedness and seriousness. People who are absolutely saying, God, we will do whatever you tell us to do. And we'll do it for your glory because we don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. We don't want to be called out. We don't want our sin revealed and and all that. And so there's people who are authentic in the church. And the church is this incredible group of people who are absolutely devoted to God. And so really, as I look at this, the only thing I can come up with, because I know the unbelievers respect them. I know the believers hold them in high esteem. Unbelievers hold them in high esteem. I know that they look at them and see that God's doing incredible things through them. And the only thing I can get out of this to say, why would the unbelievers not join in is that they say, I can't be that. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to surrender as much as these people have surrendered. I'm not ready to give up as much as this group of people is giving up for God. I'm not ready to treasure Christ as much as this group of people are treasuring Christ. I'm not ready to be that. I believe that God's powerful so much so that I'll bring my sick to the people who can heal him. But I'm not ready to give everything like these people have given everything. That's the only thing I can see. And they're not willing to join in because of that. Is that what people are saying about the church today? I mean, the unbelievers that aren't willing to join in with the church, is that what they're saying today? Do they look at the church and say, man, I'm not going in there. Those people are, they're, they're too devoted to God. I mean, I can't surrender the things that those people have surrendered. I can't. I can't imagine, I can't imagine t- saying that, God, you're worth everything and giving all that these people have given. I mean, I look at this whole group of people and they've given their lives. They treasure God and they treasure Christ more than anything. Is that what the world is saying about the church today? Is the world uncomfortable about coming into the church because they look at the people in the church and they, and they think, I don't fit in here. These people are holy people devoted to god is that what they're saying that's not what i hear that's not what i hear from unbelievers what i hear from unbelievers is i'm not going to that church because i know people that go to that church and i'm just as good as they are or i'm not going to that church because those people are a bunch of hypocrites and i'm just as good as they are so why do we need a crutch of religion like they do that's what we hear, right? That's what we hear people saying. And, and I don't think that was the case with the early church because the unbelievers held them in such high esteem because of their devotedness. And we know from the earlier chapters, they were devoted to God's word. They devoted themselves to it. They committed themselves to it. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to, to, to fellowship together. They were devoted to remembering what Christ had done as they, as they took communion, broke bread together. They were devoted to God. And is that the kind of people that we are in the church? Is that the kind of people that, that man, we come in here as a body of people who are absolutely devoted to God and we want to live such holy lives to honor him that the world looks and says man I I hold that person in high esteem and I hold those people in high esteem but part of me wants what they have I'm just not ready to give up what they've given up and I'm not ready to say that God's worth all that to me is that what people are saying about the church I really believe that 
that what we can see here is that's, that's what God expects from his church. And, and I want you to think, because here's what's happened. I mean, in, in, in light of, of reaching the lost, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, in light of reaching the lost, we want people to feel comfortable coming in. We want people to feel like it's okay to come in and don't, don't worry or anything like that. And, 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 and I think we have lost a holiness and devotion to God that makes the unbeliever say, either I absolutely desperately want that and so I'm willing to give anything, or I don't think I can do that yet. I don't think I can give that much yet. I don't think that that I can seriously, because they they weren't willing to come in and pretend. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, they know what happened to the pretenders. They saw what happened to the fakers. And so there's no way in the unbeliever's mind that they're like, I'm not even going to try to pretend to look like those people because I saw what happened to them. And so I'm just not going to go in there. I'm not going to be a part of that. You guys, it's, this is absolutely no different than everything that Jesus said. You know, was it Jamal? Was it you I was talking to where um, is either you or Matt on the trip? But we have made, I think it was you, Jamal. We have made so many issues that jesus said were absolutely necessary to get saved long-term discipleship issues where people are following christ for years and years and years and 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 then we say well we got to take care of this in your life you got to grow in this area you got to do this and 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 you've got to you've got to put god above all things and you've got to treasure him above all things and we've made all of these things discipleship issues later on that jesus said if you're not willing to put me first if you're not willing to hate your mom hate your dad hate your brother hate your sister hate your kids you're not worthy of me if you're not willing to be absolutely devoted to me if you're not willing to take up your cross and say jesus wherever you go i'll go and if that means going into a place that gets me killed I'll do it because I treasure you more than I treasure my life. If you're not willing to say that, Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. And these were all issues that Jesus said, you got to take care of these before you get saved. That's why he talked about, man, no one builds a house. No one builds a building without first counting the cost, making sure they have all the materials, making sure they have all the supplies so that they don't start building the building and then find out I'm out of supplies and I don't have a building. He said, no, you don't do that. If you're going to come to me, count the cost and make sure you're willing to say, I'm giving everything for you, Jesus, because you gave your life for me. These are things that Jesus talked about. And so we can't look at the church here and say, come on. I mean, that's just too much. You can't expect the church to be like that in 2007. Well, God does. God does. And he thinks the same thing about fake Christianity. He thinks the same thing about hypocrisy as he thought 2,000 years ago when Ananias and Sapphira tried to pull it over on him. He thinks the same thing. And he's, he's just as absolute sincere about the devotedness of the church as he was then. And so don't look at the fact that the unbelievers weren't willing to, to join with the church because of their holiness and because of their devotedness as something is like, man, but that's just not loving. That's just not reaching the lost. That is not true. That's absolutely following God. And there's no better way to give the world a picture of what God looks like than being what he said to be devoted to him.
willing to give everything for him. There's no better way to do that. It goes on, and, and uh, the next thing I want to um, mention is, is in, the, in uh, verse 14 and, and 15. It says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. In the midst of all of these people not willing to join with the church, it says this unbelievable verse, and all the more believers were coming to the Lord. Multitudes. Do you know how many multitudes is? It's a lot. You know, I love it. I don't know if you've been tracking with these first five chapters of Acts. Chapter 1, it talked about how many believers were there? 120. 120 believers, okay? Peter gives a sermon, and, and, and then it says that all these people came to Christ. How many? 3,000 people. And then Peter preaches again, and it says what? 5,000 people come to Christ. Well, now they're losing count. And it talks about earlier where it says day after day, the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. The Lord's adding to their numbers. And now in chapter five, it says, uh, and all the more and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. We can't sit here and say, man, an absolute devoted church that the unbelievers are afraid to join won't reach people. It will reach people more than any any method of evangelism we will ever come up with and here's the thing i'm blown away with okay because the unbelievers if we believe the verse before aren't coming to the church to find christ so how are many people coming to know the lord unless the believers meant what they prayed and said god continue to give us boldness if you give us boldness, we will keep talking to people. We don't care what happens to us. We'll keep leaving this little, this little worship service, and we'll go out and we'll tell everybody we can, you got to know Jesus. you got to know Jesus. you got to know Jesus. And, and we're holy people because Jesus forgave us of our sins. We're not holy people because we've got it all together and we're just doing the right things. We're not pretending. Jesus forgave us, and he gives us holiness. And so we can live for him because he, he lives inside of us. And, 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 and Paul writes, he's going to write later on, that's what they would say. Paul's going to write later on that, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. And so it doesn't matter what Satan tempts us with. We can overcome because Christ lives in us and we don't have to do those things. And so we love God. We treasure God. We want to honor him. We want to be devoted to him. We want to live for him. We want to do what he's called us to do. We see God that way. We love God that way. I'm blown away that that in the midst of people looking at the church and saying, I'm not willing to go in there. I'm not willing to join in with them because I can't be that. That the believers didn't just sit down and say, well, that's okay. We have a good sized church. No. They said, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he told me, go into all the world, make disciples, 
teaching them all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so let's go. They're staying out there, so let's go tell them. And so the believers are going and telling the unbelievers. And more than ever, people are coming to know the Lord. What a, what a time to live, you know? Like, wouldn't you love to see that? Certain things in the Bible, I'd love for them to invent a time machine. Never going to happen. Realize that. I've embraced that. But if there was a possibility, man, it'd be nice to see some of those things, right? And just to experience what in the world is going on in the church. That in the midst of the people looking and saying, we, we, can't, we can't join in. We're not, we can't do that. That more and 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 more people are saying, yep. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's worthy. He's the most treasurable thing in the world. He's the greatest treasure I've ever found. And yet, yet with him, I can. I can. I can give everything. I can surrender everything. I can devote everything. I can be what he called me to be. I can be what the church is supposed to be because Jesus is enough for me. He's my portion and he's my treasure. I can do it. I can do it. I'll surrender everything for him. And more and more, multitudes of people are giving their lives to Christ. Beautiful. Beautiful. Why? Because notice that when, when the people prayed, and as they prayed, they didn't just pray, God, you do it. You just do it. Lord, we want all those people out there to come in here. And we want them to give their life to you. They didn't pray that. They said, God, grant that we would keep speaking your word with boldness. You know, I thought about um, on, on Friday, I was thinking through, man, it's the beginning of the Christmas season, and the malls are packed, and decorations are up, and all this stuff. And, and I started thinking about us as a church. I thought, man, you know how many people are going to be here on Sunday, but, you know, probably every one of us has Christmas plans already. Raise your hand if you don't have a Christmas plan of some sort. You either have a plan of what you're giving someone. You have a plan of what you want for Christmas. You have a plan of where you're traveling to. You have a plan of what well, parties that you're going to. You have a plan of, of whatever it is. We have plans for Christmas, right? Right? Anybody not have plans for Christmas yet? Wow. Okay, good. Good. I like being right. So, Okay. Everybody has plans for Christmas, right? And we've already planned that because it's the Christmas season, right? I mean, the music is playing and it's cold outside and Thanksgiving's over. And so there's nothing left to look forward to now but Christmas. It's just the hap, hap, happiest time of year and, and all of the things that come with that. And so we're just excited about Christmas and we're making plans for Christmas. And, and, and I started thinking about the whole reason for the season, right? And Jesus, we know that song. Jesus, you're the reason for the season or something like that, however it goes. And, and Jesus, you're the whole reason. And we believe that so much, we get mad at stores if they don't say Merry Christmas. If they don't say it, Jesus, we're going to stand up for you and we're going to be mad because they don't say Merry Christmas. And we're not going to stand for it. We're not shopping there. We're going to shop everywhere else and spend a lot of money everywhere else but not where they don't say Merry Christmas. And we, we say the right things. Like we say, man, we believe that Christmas is all about Jesus. But I really started thinking about that. If we're a devoted church and we believe that Christmas is all of, about Jesus and Jesus came to earth on Christmas and that's why we celebrate Christmas. And 
And the reason he came to earth was to seek and save the lost. I started thinking about, man, what are the plans that I have for Christmas this year? I thought about what I'm getting the kids. I thought about, you know, what what are we going to do? Are we going to visit my parents or her parents or both? Or what are we going to do? Are we just going to stay here? Are we going to invite people to come to our house? How are we going to do this? I'm making all these plans for Christmas. In the midst of it, I thought, man, I say that the meaning of Christmas is Jesus came to earth. And Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And I thought, in any of my plans for Christmas, if I'm devoted to God, if in any of my plans for Christmas, what one of them involves seeking and saving the lost? And I challenge you with that. I, I'm not, you know, I bring up the whole Christmas thing, and some of you are probably thinking, oh boy, he's going to say don't buy, he's going to say don't shop, he's going to say, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that you're planning for Christmas. You made a lot of plans already. And, and we say the right things, that man, this is all about you, Jesus. In what plans have you made to say, Jesus, you came to earth on Christmas, and the reason you came was to seek and to save the lost? What part of your planning for Christmas involves that? What part of your planning for Christmas involves you saying, God, please help me continue, or please help me to speak the word of God with boldness? You came to seek and save the lost. And you came as a baby on Christmas. And you didn't stay a baby. You grew up so that you could seek and save the lost. And you came to seek and save me. You came to seek and save my family. You came to seek and save my neighbors. You came to seek and save my coworkers. You came to seek and save all these people. Grant that your servant would speak the word of God with boldness. That I wouldn't fall back into this whole idea of what we've made christmas that i wouldn't waste christmas this year i want to say that for the next five weeks that we would not waste christmas this year but that we would plan to be what christ called us to be and to do what he came to do and that in our planning for christmas we would seek and save the lost whatever that means i mean whatever it means for you whatever it means for me that we would ask god and, and beg God to just use us and to speak through us the truth of the gospel and the truth of what he came to be and what he came to do and that he would use us and that he would do the miracles, that he would perform the signs and wonders, that he would change the hearts, but that we would just speak his word with boldness. And whatever happens, happens. But Jesus, I don't want to waste Christmas this year. I want to do what you came to do and seek and save the lost. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And, and Jesus, thank you for the example that you have given us in the early church. And, and so I pray that you seek my heart, search my heart. I, I know uh, that I am not the early church. And I pray that you would uh, cause me to wonder at that and cause me to... Um, to not be okay with that, Lord, and to uh, give and surrender everything to you, Lord. I pray that for every person here. I pray that every person here, you would, you would open their hearts. And, and, uh, and there's some people I know in this church that, that it's very possible that they've gotten so used to just faking this whole thing. And their pride will keep them, if they let it, will keep them from submitting and confessing because they don't want people to know 
that they're just like Ananias, they're just like Sapphira, and they don't have a relationship with you, and they don't surrender to you, and they don't submit to you, and they don't uh, treasure you above all things. But Jesus, you are in control of hearts. You're in control of all things. You reign over all things. And so, Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit would come. And just like you said, if, if, if a father knows how to give good things, how much more does the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's what I'm asking right now. Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. You would convict us, that you would show us exactly what you desire for the church to be. That we would no longer be satisfied with just coming in here and pretending like it's okay to be half-hearted about our faith. It's okay to just kind of wander through life and not be devoted to God. But Lord, you convict us of that. And we would see the early church and then we would long to join in. That we would long to be people who are willing to surrender everything. And that we would be willing to say, just like you told us we have to be willing to say, that we will hate our own lives. We'll be willing to die. We're willing to take up our cross. Whatever it is, Jesus, we just want you. And Jesus, I pray that you help us not to waste Christmas this year. You came to seek and save the lost. And you came and we celebrate that. Every year we celebrate that. Jesus, help us to be a part of it this year. Help us to be a part of seeking and saving lost people by telling them the truth. That you are alive and you are well and you reign over the earth. That you've given your life as an opportunity for sins to be forgiven. Jesus, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to speak that with boldness this season. And be glorified through it, Lord. We don't do it for our own good. We don't do it for our own glory, or our own praise. We do it because you told us to, and we're unworthy servants. And so we just want to do what you told us to do. We pray that you help us in that, God. We pray that if there's anyone here that's struggling with treasuring you above everything else in their life, God, shine into their hearts. Let them see Jesus and know that you are good and you are worthy. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.